Hi, everybody. It is uh, the 1st of July. It is now the back half of 2021. Can you believe it? We, are, we have arrived in some kind of place, I suppose. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is, the, uh, this is my live chat right here on the Morning Combat YouTube channel. Uh, if you'd be so kind, as you can see the prompts here. There they are. Thumbs up on it. Hit subscribe. I forgot my fucking glasses. No, I got a pair over here, actually. Um, today, we'll get to UFC 264. I saw some people want to talk about the Joe Schilling video, so we'll probably get to that. And then whatever else is on your mind, uh, I, as, as always, the day before, usually the Wednesday before the Thursday live chat, I post a picture and a link in the community section of the YouTube page here. And then people fill it up, and then we go and we answer questions from there. All right. Let's see. Can I see with these fucking things? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, okay. So with that out of the way, let's get this party started, shall we? All right. There we are. I'll take this off here. Appreciate everyone joining me. Apologize for not having one last week. It's a little harder to do. Basically, what we did last week was we went up on a uh, I went up on a Wednesday morning. And then we did the show and whatever else we had to do for Showtime. Then uh, we shot some extra stuff. And then that Thursday, we spent all day in studio shooting extra stuff that hasn't come out yet. And then, uh, obviously, we had the Friday things you guys already know about. So the point being is, we just didn't have a lot of time for the live chat. I, I don't like to take the breaks that we do, but it's just sort of the way things go. Uh, okay, so let me pull this up. And I'm going to put it over here because I can't keep... My neck is still uh, in bad shape. Uh, and probably getting worse, although I have made a doctor's appointment, so hopefully that will fix it. All right, let's do this. This might be a good one today, we'll see. First question, here we go. All right. Uh, what did you make of the Joe Schilling video? Yeah, well, uh, I had a few reactions at first. Sort of peel back the curtain a little bit. Um... I would not in any way say that Joe and I are friends. I think that would be a gross exaggeration, but I think professionally I've gotten along really well with Joe. I actually met his parents at, um, what glory was that? One of the glory events. I think the one in Norfolk, Virginia, maybe the last one I worked. Uh, I met his parents there. You couldn't imagine a sweeter, a sweeter couple. They looked uh, as American and as normal and as frankly centered as you could imagine. Um, Obviously, Joe is, you know, he's got a little bit of a Game 7 vibe to him at all times. But um, from the folks that I met, he came from, um, you know, there were some good people. Now, that has nothing to do with the video, of course. I'm just sort of bringing up maybe some context that might help if you guys don't like my answer or if you do like my answer. So that that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is my immediate reaction was like, this video is very incomplete. It just didn't make sense, right? So, like someone was just happening to shoot a video where Joe went through, looked to me like he intentionally bumped the guy, not super hard or anything, but intentionally bumped the guy. And then when the guy mouthed off and flexed at him, he was immediately ready to do it. And it wasn't like somebody, you know, pulled out a cell phone in the middle of a melee or it just happened to catch as they were filming something else. Like that was a setup in some kind of way. Now, I'm not saying that they set it up in a way where, um, there's no there's no mitigating circumstances. I'm just pointing out like the video. So I was like, well, what happened before this? Because this shot is clearly, again, it's real, but it's like it was anticipated. 
So I was like, there's got to be some other circumstances. So I read some of the reports that came out from Stephen Morocco and some others. Um, I don't know if Joe's going to be charged. Obviously, it's up to the victim in this case um, to do it. I think I think my first reaction is that it's pretty incontestably a uh, disproportionate use of force. You know, um, it didn't need to be what it was. You know, not, not even close. Um, and... You know, I've said this a million times. There's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't engage in street fights. One is that you might lose and get really hurt. Okay, that's not really relevant here, at least not for Joe. But the other is that if even if you're the one doing the hurting, um, dude, bad shit can happen. Like, that guy fell, and it always sounds like, oh, that's one of the rare cases. And I haven't looked at the police data to know how rare it is, but I've, I've heard enough and seen enough dudes working in bars get their heads slammed on the concrete. It's a bad scene, man. It's a bad scene. A couple times you had to go and testify in court for some of these people. Like, everyone thinks it's no big deal to get in these bar fights. And, and again, everyone's probably got stories of this guy or their friend or maybe even themselves who have gotten out of them without much issue. But it's just not effective risk management. But, you know, I got to tell you, man, after the pandemic, like, I sort of get that this is a world full of people who don't, um, I don't think risk management features very strongly into their lives, generally speaking. Um, I think there's a lot of people that don't believe that risk is what it is or that they should care or that they should be encumbered by it. And I think there's a bigger issue here, which is, uh, you know, to what extent do you want to valorize this kind of behavior? Now, the question you have is, do you feel bad for the victim? Well, yes and no. I mean, by every account, this guy who got demolished in two seconds, first of all, there was a little bit of mercy from Joe, if you actually want to think about what Joe could have done. Secondly, he sounds like an awful person. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe was right to to do what he did necessarily, but that, you know, I, I'm a little bit conflicted because obviously you cannot live in a society where people just decide that they don't like someone or they don't like what someone said. And as good as it might feel to sock them in the grill once in a while, um, you know, you can't you can't order society that way. Like, there have to be protections in place for all kinds of reasons. Not least of which is what happens when the tables turn or what happened if this guy would have had a weapon or what happens if one of his friends would have had a weapon and the whole thing escalates. Do you just never, it's not effective risk management. And I've seen shit go sideways and it's, it's bad news, man. It's bad news for everybody involved. Everybody takes a bite of the shit sandwich. And I think a lot of times something may not happen to some of these guys or they just don't learn lessons from it. Um, and, uh, you know, so they, they consider it to be a reasonable form of justice. Um, but the guy does seem like an, unbelievable douchebag and there was a there was a quote or at least a hashtag that joe had on one of his social media posts it was like fuck racist like i don't know what the guy said um i was trying to think like what's the difference between uh what well there's a pretty big difference but there between what roger huerta did in that bar fight in austin texas and then this one there was two big differences one you can actually see the the incident that caused it when the uh, the football player hit the woman and two, he actually made direct physical contact. I think in that sense, Roger Huerta was a little bit more like you. But like when Roger Huerta beat the fuck out of that guy in the bar, you were like, "Yeah, get his ass," you know. So there can be a moral righteousness that's a little bit hard to defend when it's like, "Is fighting in bars bad?" It's like, well, you know, it's never a great idea, but is it always you know morally reprehensible? Probably, you know, not 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 in all cases. I just think what I would say is, you know, you can get mad at these guys. I think I've come to a place where, like, I don't think they buy the argument that, um, A, what they did is wrong, or B, ineffective. And uh, because, in large part, they've lived a life where that's really been the case. Uh, and that violence is a very helpful form of adjudicating disputes. 
The problem is the one time it goes wrong, it will go spectacularly wrong. You will, uh, they, they will take a bounce on their head that they're not supposed to. They will sue you for all your money. And it's over some kind of verbal slight, you know, and the, the thing you have to sort of re- recognize is that, uh, fighters don't operate necessarily on a dignity society, right? A dignity society is one where it doesn't matter what you say to me. I retain my dignity. Your, your ability to hurl insults at me doesn't remove my dignity. Um, but in an honor society, you know, the perception is that people can say things to you and then dishonor you. And so you have to resort to these other means to do it. Uh, it's not a particularly enlightened approach, but it is, it is pretty ubiquitous. Um, so, you know, I don't think Joe, in my experiences, is a bad person. I don't necessarily feel bad for the victim in, in the sense that, uh, you know, you know, I feel bad that what happened to him, but I don't, you know, he doesn't seem like the most sympathetic character. I'll put it that way. But at the same time, man, I just, I, you know, <laughs> people don't believe it until it happens to them, you know? And, and then when it does, there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth over, over the results. And I, I just don't know what to tell them. If you believe that adjudicating disputes is most helpfully settled through violence, and I'm, you know, truck dude in the Marine Corps, we used to have guys have disputes. We would just go out back and let them, let them work it out on each other, and then one guy would get the better, and then that would be it. Like that was how you settled it, and it kind of worked for that society, usually because there were some kind of limits you could place on it. So, like, I, I know I somewhat understand that mentality, but I don't know if Joe's retired or something. I, I don't know what his situation is, but. It's just not effective risk management, man. It's not. You keep that up and something really, 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 really bad is going to happen. And when it does, you know, what can you say at that point? Um, It will be disaster. It will be disaster. I'll never forget there was a bunch of soccer morons here in D.C. And one dude clubbed the other one and then the other guy fell back and it was in a parking lot. And his head didn't just hit the ground. You ever seen like when you pull into a parking spot, there's like a like a stone blocking the front where you know like that's how you far you pull up and it and it stops here. His head hit that, and he fucking died a week later. And all of them got charged. You know, like violence in order for self-preservation and the way in which society has been constructed must be a last resort. And that was a disproportionate use of force. Maybe it won't be cataclysmic for his career. I certainly, you know, I don't wish any ill upon Joe whatsoever. But um, if that's the last of it, then maybe, you know, this isn't the end of the world. And I really hope that it is. But if this happens again, uh, who knows, man? It's, it's, a, it's bad news. It's bad news. Uh, if MK was canceled today, what would you do next? Just focus on your personal channel? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually cutting up a... I you know no, you don't believe me. You don't have to believe me. But I'm actually cutting up a video now. Um, I, think I, I think I need to get back to it a little bit. I kind of hit a point where... Here's what happened in the pandemic, I think, for a lot of us. I came to a position where I was able to peel back and stop some of the things I was doing. I was living on just absolute fumes for years, for years, totally for years, just driven by fury and anger and resentment. 
And, you know, and, oh, I have my fucking dog. I'm going to have to let him in because it's raining. Ugh, let me let him in. Jesus Christ. Hang on. Y'all want to see Barbus? Come here, Barbus. Come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Here we go. Yeah, look at this fat fuck. Yeah, what's up, Barbus? What's up, little guy? He's all scared because of the thunder. Um, yeah, can you get him? There we go. There we are. Um, where I was just on fumes constantly and it, it resulted in pretty productive work but then when I didn't have to do that stuff anymore it's not that I merely didn't want to I have tried to sit down and make videos at times and I just can't even force myself sometimes to go through the motions like to even hit record to even sit down to articulate to then edit and color correct I used to do that automatic man automatic and um, I've probably overcorrected to a degree yeah, no, I've definitely overcorrected. But at the same time, you know, if you've been doing all this extra shit and you no longer have to, and then you realize what a burden it was, and yet now you have all this other time to do all these other things, like it changes your perspective a little bit. And so, yeah, I would lean back into it. Um, in my contract, I, I, in my contract as it states, I have carve-outs for my, I have a Patreon I set up. I don't, there's nothing in there. I do not ask you to subscribe. But I have one carved out, Twitch channel, my YouTube channel, some of the other stuff. Where I'm free to do whatever I want. So, like, even if, even if there, yes, if I was canceled, I would just go back and lean into that in a hardcore kind of way. That'd be totally fine. Uh, but even now, I can develop some of those things. The Patreon, I won't do. I, there's no, there's no need for it. I don't have the time for it. But the YouTube channel definitely needs. Uh, it's been sitting in park a little too long. So. Uh, can you talk about what happened? Excuse me. Can you talk about what got you so upset uh, at the end of last Friday's show? Yeah, somebody didn't like something I said, but it ended up not being, it ended up not being as big, not even one tenth the biggest deal as I thought it was. There was a text and then an email from my producer, and his reaction to it was what got me reacting to it. But it turns out that his reaction to it um, was not necessarily correct, and so I was reacting to that rather than. The, the merits of the situation. And then when I found out the merits of the situation, I was like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> Can y'all hear Barbus? They were supposed to take him and they didn't. So hold on, let me open the door one more fucking time. All right, Barbus. Come on, buddy. You can come in here. Oh, Jesus Christ. Here comes my kid. Let's see. You know what? I'm going to leave Barbus in here. All right. Is Rachmanov's development going to be fast enough to see him challenging for a title in the same era as Usman? See, that I don't know. Boy, did y'all see Shavkat Rachmanov last weekend? Holy shit, man. If that dude's not a champion, by the time he's 30, he's going to have fought for a championship. No, Not a doubt, unless he gets injured or something. So, assuming he stays healthy or something like that, that dude is going to be an absolute murderer. He is going to be a buzzsaw that a lot of people are going to have trouble with. Now, there's still some development that needs to happen, but he is a very, very special talent. Whether or not he will ascend the title into the title picture quick enough to fight Usman, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I, I tend to think maybe not, because while mature for in terms of his skill set for 26, you could still see there's some things that need to get worked on uh, or polished up or refined in some kind of way. So that part's hard to say, but like within the next 
within the next three years, four for sure, will he have either worn or fought for a title? Uh, that's He's my strongest bet on a blue chip prospect. I think that kid is unbelievably talented. A fight that seems to not have a lot of buzz is Burns versus Thompson. What are your thoughts on the fight and how will it go? I have not dug into the details on this one. I tend to think it's going to be a bit of a hard time for Gilbert. Because if he gets it on the ground, it's a, it's a wrap. But getting it to the ground is pretty hard. It's going to be in the big cage, which I think is going to serve a guy like Wonderboy Thompson pretty well. Wonderboy is extremely experienced. He's big-sized for the, for, the, uh, for the weight class. Um, and it's hard to get a beat on him. It's hard to get a hold of him. It's hard to do anything really to him unless you're very, very skilled, which Burns is. But I think that um, it's going to be tough. I, I, I think that... If Burns is really capable of letting the leg, uh, Joseph Valtellini has an entire video on like how to beat Wonderboy Thompson, and it's a little bit general. It's 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 it, it, he fought guys kind of like him, like a Raymond Daniels type, and he shows like here's how I beat Raymond Daniels. Here are the things you have to do when you go up against somebody with this particular kind of style, and there's a lot of things you have to do. But the big one is leg kicking. I'm not sure what the fuck that is. Oh, I think it's my daughter playing some kind of machine or something um or maybe my phone so you know to what extent is he meaningfully able to do that because thompson has an obvious challenge for that he's got all kinds of punches he's got he's sticking and moving he's in and out and you know it's easier said than done it's sort of the way i would describe that but um that's a super interesting one because i think if thompson wins that how do you deny him the title shot at that point i mean you would ha you could give him one now maybe and you can definitely give him one after that. So, uh, also three rounds versus five. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of wind. I would say at at, at Thompson's back here, um, but I have not dug into the details. So give me some time to do that. Can we get an overview of that text? The state of the state of morning combat relationship with Showtime. If there's if there's no more relationship, dude. <laughs> Showtime is fine. Everything's fine. Morning combat's fine. Uh. Everything, try, I mean, I'm not even doing a bit. Like, listen, the day we can't do morning combat the way I want to do it, we're not doing it anymore. I don't need it. You know, I, I love it and I will do it. And I, Showtime has been unbelievably supportive towards me. Please understand that. But uh, there's there, there's literally no problem. I, I, I On my honor as a former Marine, on my, on my daughter's name, on my deceased mother, I am telling you there is not a problem. I thought there was a problem. There is not. Truly. Honestly, sincerely, I'm looking dead at in the camera. There is not a problem here, okay? I promise you. Showtime is extremely happy with Morning Combat. CBS Sports is extremely happy with Morning Combat. I mean, dude, they're putting in the resources for next week that they don't put into other shows except for the very biggest ones that they have. Like, everyone there is telling me how happy they are. I look at the numbers that they're, the benchmarks they've set for us. We're exceeding all of them. Um, we're, we're in a good spot. We're, like, I'm, I, it's full steam ahead, y'all. Full steam ahead. So please, 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 please do not worry. Uh, same question. Luke, with France, Germany, and Holland eliminated, I know. Can you believe it? Who do you got to win the Euro? Um, shit. Well, I'd like to say Spain. I just don't know if they can pull it off. Um, if not them, I would, I'll just say who I'm cheering for. I'm cheering for Belgium. You know, I've been to Belgium, 
And Belgium gets a lot of shit from people for reasons I don't quite understand. I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect country or that it's as good as Spain. I don't think anything in the world is as good as Spain. Spain might be the best country in the world just in terms of like living a good life. Um, and I'm sure there might be Spaniards who tell me I'm a crazy American for that. I'm just telling you how I feel. But I, I went to Belgium and I had a great time. Like I thought it was a great country. I thought it was cool things to see. I thought it was really interesting how they divide everything between their different populations of 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 you know their Dutch side and then their French side and then everything else in between. Like it's a it's a weird place and and maybe the government doesn't function the way it's supposed to. I, I understand that, but just in terms of like a tourist experience in Belgium, I had a, I would go back like that. I really enjoyed myself. And um, you know it's a smaller country and they got a fucking buzzsaw of a team, man. They're unbelievable. Um, so. You know, I thought the French were unstoppable, but they're not. Um, but the but the Red Devils might be, dude. They're 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 pretty they're pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> regarding the text you both got, was it Josh Thompson getting salty? Not that I'm aware of. Listen, let me just say something because I saw that Josh Thompson and uh, Big John McCarthy were. Uh, we're talking about some things that we had said. We were not particularly kind towards what, was, what card was it? Bellator, I forget the name. Two sixty one, I think, is the, new, the the number, and it was a um, interim title between Tim Johnson and Val, uh, Val, uh, Valentine or Valentine uh, Moldovsky. And um, I didn't think it was a good card. I, I did, and I stand by that. It was not a good card. But you know, they disagreed. There's this weird thing in MMA where people are apparently not allowed to disagree. And I've said this on the, if you're new to this chat, then this might be new to you. If you're not, then you've heard me say this a million times, but I have to, I have to keep saying it because it's really true. Listen, if people don't agree with me or with Brian and they make their disagreement about the merits of the argument, not only is that okay, I frankly encourage that people should hear multiple viewpoints debated around an issue. And if they thought that that card was good, it, it was not, but if they thought that card was good and they have an arguments that they want to present to it, fine. No problem, or, or whatever, whatever their argument uh, may be there, you know, that, that's, that's healthy. That's good. So, like, people are like, oh, they said you were wrong. Okay. <laughs> and? Like, it's only when it, you know, becomes personal or, you know, has nothing to do with the merits of the argument or it's something else. Well, then, okay, maybe you, you got to go a little heavy-handed. But, like, I didn't think that was the case. I thought, in fact, they were pretty respectful for the most. You know, no, entirely. I didn't have. I didn't. I didn't watch anything they said, and I was like, mm, "This is." Eh. I'm not one to like try and. Believe, I know you may not believe this, but I, I. I think it's better to let everyone have their say rather than to try to silence people. Um, and they had a different opinion. Cool, it's fine. Uh, I remember you mentioning you're studying a philosophy in university. Of what you studied, which philosopher works did you particularly enjoy or particularly dislike? There wasn't a lot I particularly disliked. I don't know that I loved studying things from antiquity as much as I did modern ethical uh, questions, but there's nothing I read and I was like, this is bullshit. I mean, because most of the stuff they select for you is pretty good. Um, I would say that, I, I mean, there's a lot of them. Martin Buber... Um, f on certain issues, obviously, you know, recent information about his personal life has made him a little bit harder to stomach. But Michael Foucault, some of the stuff that Nietzsche, I think, said was trenchant and lasting. Um, in a more modern sense, on animal ethics, I think Peter Singer has done incredible work when it comes to 
defining and justifying um, the role of the state. Um, Robert Nozick has been incredibly influential. John Rawls, his sort of nemesis in a way, I think had interesting things to say as well. Um, the one person that I really stuck to in a way that I did not anticipate it happening like I you know you you read some of these famous philosophers like you know they're, they're going to be smart enough where uh, something will stick with you you know Descartes uh, I, I think therefore I am right like if I'm the one doubting my existence then surely um, I must be the one existing at least in some kind of form I mean these are the kinds of things as a sort of a basic intro to philosophy that that stick with you because um, these are impactful important ideas but the one I didn't see coming was actually David Hume the Scottish philosopher and I've talked about philosophy of science a lot on this on this podcast. He he really turned my world upside down with arguments about inductive reasoning because you just don't realize how many mistakes you have made in your arguments of assumption that that his work he's done he did a lot of different works, but um, particularly the kind around inductive reasoning just blows to pieces, and it really had a profound effect on me on the way I thought about things, the way I judged. Um, various theories that people proffer to explain whatever kind of phenomenon. It, David Hume had a dramatic impact on the way I thought. And I just did not, You, I would have never guessed that. You would have thought somebody of more grand proportion. Not that he doesn't have an incredible role to play in the development of um, empiricism, economics, uh, you name it. But I mean, you know, somebody who was like truly like the Plato's and the Aristotle's and the you know, somebody like that. It, no, it was actually David Hume and, and the work around inductive reasoning through philosophy of science. That was the one that was like, I had never thought of things this way. Uh, at least not to the to the extent that he had fully developed them. And, you know, you know, when you have work that can last over centuries as these defining core truths or at least the iterative place that truth holds as we develop a keener sense of it, and you do the work that David Hume did, man, it is... Um, it's humbling to see something like that. And that was the guy that I walked away with being like, I need to learn more from him. Um, and, you know, he's got a bunch of bad things to say too, but David Hume. David Hume was the big one. This is actually true. I'll just drink whiskey and smoke while listening. All right. Nothing wrong with that. Um, let's see. All right. Do you miss your full creative control over having your own separate channel? Yes and no. I mean, not really. I got a ton of control, or at least a ton of input at a bare minimum on Morning Combat. Like, there's very little that happens that I'm not in favor of. Um, some things, I suppose, because it is a partnership, and I don't always see eye to eye with BC, but not, not really. Like, for the most part, what we want to do, we get to do. Um... And yeah, there are some things I would want to post outside of it, but the problem with like, you know, you're doing your own creative control. I've said this before, like now, now especially with a child, you know, to go and storyboard and plan your video and then shoot it and then edit it and then bring it to bear. Like, it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. And I was doing it, but uh, I don't miss that. I really don't. So I'm trying to find this medium where... I can get back to a place where I have regular uploads, but without feeling like I'm being constrained. Um, you know, like I'm just giving back the free time that I waited 16 years to earn. You know, I think for 15 years I just grinded like three, four jobs constantly. Uh, 
So like, you know, do I miss creative control? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But honestly, like, do this Showtime job, you know, I, I, I think I said it on Wednesday's show. I mean, SiriusXM was just an unbelievable experience and you'd be lucky and I was lucky to have what I have. But the Showtime job might be just be the best job I've ever had. Like, period, bar none, of any job ever at any point in my life. Like, this is just, it's great. I don't have a single bad thing to say about Showtime. And I can't tell you that the support, I, I, I can't tell you, the support I've received is second to none. Um, they're the best. They're the best. They're the best in the business. And if I spent the rest of my career with them, great. You know, that's how good they are. So, um, yeah, they could be a, could be slightly, you know what I wish I had? I wish I had like what all these rich dudes have. Somebody who films everything for them. You know, it would be a lot easier on me if I had that. But I don't. And, you know, that's obviously like an insane luxury. I'm just saying it'd be nice to have. Also, your thoughts on Ariel moving away from ESPN for seemingly creative control reasons. Yeah, I, don't, I have no idea why he moved on. And really, it's not my business. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say. Um, I, I don't know why he left ESPN or, or whatever the situation was. I mean, I can speculate like everybody else can. Um, but, uh, I mean, here's the reality folks. Like, you know, what am I supposed to say about this? Um, the, the problem that I'm up against, I'll just peel back the curtain a little bit. The problem that I'm up against is I've got very, very hard feelings towards, uh, everyone at Vox media, not everyone, but most people at Vox media, and when I say Vox Media, I don't just mean MMA fighting. I mean actually the parent company. And in fact, the parent company might even be worse. Yeah, no, they're, they're worse. Um, you know, they made a series of explicit promises to me early on uh, that were that were not only never met, but they didn't care about even trying. And when I say explicit promises, I mean right from the top. You know, uh, you know, Jim Bankoff runs that company. He had a he he pulled me aside years and years and years ago. Um, I think this was right when, right when MMA fighting moved from AOL to uh, to Vox, and he made a a a very solemn and what I thought at the time was a sincere promise to to take care of me. And it was a I mean I don't know if he was lying, but it it never it, he might as well have been. You know, there was absolutely zero effort to maintain any word he ever told me in that exchange. And I didn't request that meeting. He actually came to me of his own volition. And uh, so whether he lied or not, I don't know. I, you know, you have, you have to assign malice or you have to understand what someone's thinking was to say that they were lying. But certainly I can say without equivocation that there was zero effort to maintain any pledge. And that lasted for a really long time. And I have a lot of hard feelings about that um, because I lost years of my years years of my career um, to where I should have been by virtue of, the, of, of that. And uh, and then they outright tried internally when I went and you remember that Spike TV show I did? They tried to sabotage that. Um, the the, the in-house lawyer did. Um, and, you know, I'm like, you, you won't give me any of these opportunities. And yet when someone else will, you'll get in the way. I had to literally grovel. I had to grovel and beg for them to allow me to do that. And I thought to myself, like, I don't even understand this. Like, you'll never do this, so why can't you let them? And, and, and these are just, every year it was something like this, where there was just the tip of the iceberg about, you know, uh, 
um, I would caution someone about working at Vox Media, and I mean this quite sincerely. What I would say is that if you are looking to, if you're early to mid-level in what you're trying to do in your pursuits, it can be a good place because it, you know, they, they have three different sites and they have employed a lot of different people. And I think Bloody Elbow does some of the most tremendous work in the community. I know a lot of people get pissed off by them, but um, I think you need people in the space who do the kinds of things Bloody Elbow is doing. And I think Ariel rejoining MMA fighting, I don't, I don't think MMA fighting can really exist without him. So I think that union is incredibly powerful. Um, and I think it's a smart play to be quite candid with you. Um, you know, I don't have any feelings positive or negative about it, but just sort of observing like, I, I think it's a smart move. I think it's a good play. Um, but, you know, I think if you're not a guy like Ariel, who obviously has a tremendous following and has done tremendously well for himself, I would strongly caution you about working there if you have any ambition at all because you will languish there. They're not built... They're, they're incredibly poor at um, recognizing talent, developing it, um, and... You can you can show them whatever you want to show them. You can have whatever success metric you want to have. It doesn't mean anything. In my experience, it meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. And um, so I don't have fond memories of working there, quite candidly. I think by, at the very, very end, when I had all the leverage in the world, when everyone else had split and I was able to make demands, yeah, they finally met all my demands then. But at that point, it was too late. And uh, I had too many hard feelings about the way I was treated. I'm sure that they'll hear this and think that I'm completely out of my mind. But, you know. I think that moving on was probably the no. It was, I mean, uh, absolutely the best case scenario for me. Um, you don't ever hear me say these things about Sirius XM. You don't ever hear me say these things about Showtime. Um, and look, there's some great people that work over there at Vox Media. You know, there there are some very talented people all the way up and down. But um, I kind of wanted to just say this to get this off my chest a little bit because I don't even want to revisit this anymore. I just wanted to. I want to move on. I don't really have. You know, they're gonna. Ariel's going to be just fine at MMA fighting. He's going to kill it over there. I have zero doubt. I do something different now. I'm in my own lane. I have things to focus on. But uh, I don't think I could ever forgive what happened. And I would very much caution people. If you have ambition, real ambition, like you really want to do something, and they've not automatically kind of spotlit you as somebody that they want to put that in, you need to think long and hard about what you want to do because that ain't the place for you. Um, I would very much caution people take a second look at Vox Media um, they are very 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 poor talent developers and uh, that's by that's no one's fault but, them, but their own I hope that's the last I can talk about it I don't want to talk about them anymore I, I'm like it, 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 it just stirs in me so much anger you know when you got the top guy at the company like there's no one higher than him That that is where everything stops out of his own volition, pulls you aside and makes declarations to you about what he's going to do, you must think you're like, okay, well, this is great. And then none of it happens. How would you feel? Who are some MMA fighters that seemed absolutely terrifying to fight or feared by potential opponents in a way that may have not been reflected by their record. Um, I don't think Kevin Randleman had like the cleanest record, did he? Let me see his. 
Because I know he had a bunch of losses along the way. Yeah, he was 17 to 16. Now, a lot of that is the end of, you know, he was well into his, I think, late 30s, early 40s at that point. He had had some drug test failures along the way. But Kevin Randleman, he was up, he was down, but you could never, that was never a gimme. That was never a gimme. And when he was up, whoo, he was way up, way up. Let's see. Dump, bada, bump, bump. Look, are there any countries in the Middle East that you have visited or like to visit? I have been to, um, let's see. I have been to, obviously, to Lebanon. I've been to Israel. I've been to Jordan. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Qatar. I've been to, where else have I been? In the Middle East. I've been to Turkey, if you want to count that. Um, have I been to other countries in the Middle East? I don't think I've been to Syria. I don't think I've been to like Oman or Libya. I've not been to Morocco, although I came close. No, those are the most. So I swam in the Dead Sea. That was cool. I don't know what it's like today, but I swam in the Dead Sea. You can just uh, you can just lay there and you'll never sink. But then the funny part is when you get out, if you don't grab your shorts, again, it may be different today, but this is when I swam in it. If you don't grab your shorts, the salt will <laughs> will pull them down. You'll get pantsed by the salt of the Dead Sea. Again, I'm told that it might be different today, but this was like 1988, 89, I swam in the Dead Sea. I was like 9 or 10, something like that. And I remember being like, whoa, this is this is different. Is there anyone I would like to visit? Um, no, not really. I'd go back to Lebanon if it was an easy way to get there, but there's no, you can well imagine, there's no direct flights there. Um, so... Um, you have to go to Europe, usually France, and then from France you can get to Lebanon. I had to go U.S. to Greece, Greece to Lebanon, and that was that was a pain. The seats were so small on the flight from Greece to Lebanon that I couldn't sit in the chair, and they're like, "Sir, we can't take off," and I'm like. I'm going to physically show you I cannot sit in the seat. My, my knees I wouldn't let me in. I couldn't, and I couldn't manspread because all the other seats were full. And uh, I just, I, it just, it literally wouldn't fit. So I was like, you got to move me. And there was like a dude who must have been like a basketball player overseas or something. He was a good 6'9", 6'10". He had bought an entire row. And uh, I think I like four seats on one side, something like that. And he was like, I'll give you two. You can have two. So he kind of like, and he was uncomfortable. He, you know. But he made it work for me so I could I could get on the plane. Uh, you know, not, not a lot of large people in that part of the world. Uh, would you be in favor of getting rid of the 265-pound heavyweight limit? Only if there was like a good reason to, which I can't imagine at, the point, at this point that there is. What five books should I add to my cart and buy today? All right, well, since someone asked me before... How about, uh, oh, you know what? I, tw I, tw I, uh, I retweeted it. There was a question. Um, I had retweeted it. Here we go. You can order Leviathan. These are political philosophy. You can order Leviathan, John Walls' The Theory of Justice, Anarchy, State, and Utopia by Robert Nozick. Uh, and then you can get, here's a great one. Well, you have to read some works by Karl Marx. As a philosopher, I think it's important to understand things, even if you don't agree with them. There's lots of philosophy that you read that you're like, eh, but you know, it plays a role in the development of thought, that, so it's important to understand those things. Maybe you can skip that one if that's too politically sensitive for you. 
Um, and then there's a book there called by G.A. Cohen. So uh, those, those, three of those. You can read Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. That's a great one. Theory of Justice by John Rawls. Anarchy, State, and Utopia by Robert Nozick. I would add, let's add, um, you can either read The Gay Science or Thus Spoke Zarathustra by Nietzsche. And then, what's another good one that's like a fun read? Um, oh, I know one, but I forgot the name of the book itself. Hold on. Let me look up the name of the author. Mm. Work. Yeah, what's another one that's like a, just a great one to read? Oh, since I know this will be appealing to some of you, you can read F.A. Hayek's The Road to Serfdom. Sort of one of the developmental folks behind, at least in terms of thought and economics, behind some of the some of the support behind free market economics. I realize that in today's world, that's not nearly as in vogue as it once was. But again, Road to Serfdom, seminal piece of work that helped, I think, define some of the ways in which government and uh, institutions developed economic policy. For better or for worse, depending on your perspective, but an important work just the same. Um, did you think MK would end up as successful as it has, and how many subscribers did you think you, you would have by this stage when you started? We're definitely undersubbed, but you know, losing uh, Dissected was really hurtful for us because that was our number one driver of subs. So we're undersubbed in that sense, but in terms of institutional happiness, both CBS Sports and Showtime, we are far in excess of where I thought we would be. And um, so I'm very happy about that. But we're definitely undersubbed. We're a little bit lacking in that regard, for sure, um, because we never pivoted to a new strategy. They just took it away. We just kept doing what we were doing. So I didn't take it away. That's, that's not quite the right word. It could not continue in the way in which it was presented for a lot of different reasons that I cannot get into. Um, and that, that, that hurt us a little bit in that development. So we just needed to plug in some of the different holes there, which we did not do. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. And also, like, I'm very YouTube-centric. But when you look at the broader things about what MK is trying to do and how it's measured by internal metrics... Um, And how happy everyone is with that internally, like, I, I tend to sweat it less. <laughs> when are you going to announce your move to the ringer with the other MMA beat boys? There might be an MMA beat again. I'll never be a part of it. I'll never, ever, ever be a part of that. And that's okay. I don't, I don't care. I like, I don't care to be, you know what I mean? Um, I left Vox Media. You ever guys ever seen the scene from Shawshank Redemption? Tim Robbins is staring and all the rain is coming down. That's how I felt when I left Vox. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's any invites coming my way. And even if there were, I wouldn't care. Do you think we'll ever see Loma versus Tank Davis? If so, who wins? I don't know. You know, you guys heard what Mayweather had to say, which was, you know, we're just going to fight other dudes that we can, which was incredibly disappointing to hear. But, you know, I also tend to think a lot of that is posturing. And, and if the right fight can be made in the right circumstances, then they'll, they'll just do that. If they fought today, I think Loma would win because I think he would be the better boxer of the two. But, dude, you know, Loma's been dropped 
135, um, you know, more than once, I think, right? I have to double check that. But I think he got, I think he's been dropped more than once at 135. A guy, a guy like Tank Davis could match that or exceed that. So it'd be close, but I tend to think Loma's angles would be a little bit too much. Um, so question here, Luke, what do you think about the Prince of Saudi Arabia executing people under the age of 18 who have done nothing more than speak out against the government? There was a boy recently executed for speaking out against the Saudi government and was held captive, I believe, from age 15 to 18, where he's then killed. Why does America overlook this and still befriend the country? Yeah, they've got geopolitical interests that they've aligned with Saudi Arabia to the point that they have become um, tolerant of its abuses in the worst kind of way. They'll sort of, you know, hem and haw about the excesses, uh, the, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi and other things like that. But, you know, when Americans lecture, or at least American government lectures, the rest of the world about its commitment to democracy, and then they'll, you know, turn a blind eye to these barbaric and backwards practices from Saudi Arabia. You can see pretty quickly that their moral righteousness should be have an asterisk next to it. Uh, another question about Fox. I don't give a fuck anymore. Another one. How do you feel about the return of the MMA Hour? I wish him nothing but the best of luck. I really it doesn't. It's just not relevant to my life anymore. So if they want it and it's theirs, great. Uh, just so you guys know, like at the end of my last contract, I had told Vox I would never do the MMA Hour again. I was done with it. That was a miserable experience. And uh, so I had pivoted to another idea. It ended up not happening. And they had agreed to it, by the way. Contract was in. Um, but then Showtime came along and we got that deal done at the last minute. And that was just a better opportunity for me. And I took it. And I obviously made the right call. But there was I wasn't going to continue doing that no matter what. I don't have any I don't have any longing towards it or like, oh, back in the day like that was that was an awful year of my life for the most part. Not entirely, but for the most part, and uh I was happy to move on. MMA beat was great, but uh by the time I was hosting it, everyone had moved along. It was hard to recruit people to come in. And um yeah, I'll never go back. So if they want to do it, great. Wish again, wish I, I mean it sincerely. I don't have, I, do what you got to do. It'll be great. They'll succeed. They're they, dude, they're gonna do. They're they're gonna succeed. Like there's not a doubt in my mind. I've just I've got my own path that I've carved that I waited a long time for, and I intend to just focus on that. Do you think you'll ever go back to training jujitsu, or is it just too straining on the body and specifically the joints for you to consider going again? I mean, look at this. I got this shit on my back. I can barely sit still here. I mean, will I ever go back? I don't have any plans. I don't want to get on here and be like, I'm never going to go back. And then a year passes and I feel differently and then it goes. But like as it stands today, do I ever see myself regularly going and training jujitsu or MMA or striking or anything like that? No, I don't. I don't. I don't see myself doing that at all. I think that people, you know, if you're 40 and you're, and I've seen this, getting double hip replacements and you're 40, you need to think about what you've done to make that happen and is that really a necessary part of your life? For some people, it might be. If you're a pro athlete and you have your career in your 20s and your 30s and by the time you're 40, you have to face these kinds of realities and, and that, was a, that was a trade-off you had to make, then maybe that's fine. But um, if you're not, you're just a regular person with a regular Joe job, which there's nothing wrong with, but that's just what you do 
you know, you should probably think long and hard about how you want to be able to live later on in your life. And yes, I'm going to get this addressed. I'm sure it's a very, very, you know, fixable situation. It's just a nuisance that my back hurts the way that it does. Um, but, um, no, I don't, I don't have any plans. Mm -mm. I don't long for it in that way. (laughs) Would you rather participate? Oh God, participate in two girls, one cup, or be forced to watch that Bellator card for every day for a year. I'd rather watch MMA than participate in 2G1C. Good Lord. Uh, what are things you normally get to during weeks off when there aren't any big UFC MMA cards? I finally get to catch up on shows that I missed. Um, that's one. I do a lot of, uh, I just hang out with my kid a lot, man. The pools are open now, and I spend a lot of time with her. You get a little more reading. I mean, the same shit I do during the day, just I get to do a lot more of it. Um, I, you know, get to see friends finally. Jesus, I haven't seen, I mean, I finally am now seeing some friends, but been a long time. Um... Have I done anything special special? Uh, no. No. Nothing special special. But you know, my job, like I've said this before, if you've got my job, where the trade-off with my job is that your job is better than most people's job, but the trade-off is that it runs over your social life so that you don't have nearly as good of a social life as other people might have. Again, that, that can vary. It's week to week and month to month, but that's that's the general trend. you got to give up a lot of Saturday nights to do this kind of a job, whether you're at home or whether you're on the road. And uh, so when I have free time, I don't have, you know what I mean? Like there's not a lot to go to um, beyond what I ordinarily do. So like, you know, for me, it's like getting to go to Miami in the way that I did, you know, the fight again was dumb, but you know, doing like showtime takes care of us when we travel so that the travel itself is not so terrible. And then, it was just fun to do that kind of a thing. Like those are the things obviously looking, hanging out with my family and my wife and my kid is my number one, but I'm saying like the unusual things in my life, I'll document those for Instagram and stuff like that. But like when I'm home, I'm just, I just want to hang out with my family, man. I want to hang out with my family. I want to lift weights. I want to hang out with my friends and uh, watch things that I like, read things that are cool. And that's it. I don't really have any grand designs on anything else beyond that. Um, Not right. Not right now. Luke, a couple of weeks ago, you had Adesanya Whitaker 2 in the title, but didn't actually talk about it. What are your early thoughts on how that rematch plays out? Boy, Whitaker's talking a big game, you know, and I think he should to an extent, right? Like, the loss he had against Adesanya was bad. I I don't think you could say otherwise. He got dropped in the first and finished off in the second, one of Adesanya's easier fights. Okay, that wasn't great, but we also know the story. He was burned out, coming off of a long layoff, blah, 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 blah. Since then, he's had to do more than I thought he needed to to get back, but he did it anyway. Didn't make a lot of mistakes along the way. You had a little bit of some work with Jared Cannonier that got a little dicey at times, but in general, you know, he was he was masterful in that performance and he has I think done the things that a guy like him needs to do. Not only get back some of that confidence, not that he was lacking per se, but what were the things that led to the defeat that took place before the fight? He corrected those, it seems like, we don't know, but it seems like, and then he got a series of opponents that called upon him to not only build upon his existing strengths, but you know, to, you know, know, to if you want to get back to Adesanya, you can't make mistakes, and the thing that I go back to about what Robert Whitaker does is he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, man, and no, no one's perfect, he makes them on occasion, but 
Um, and again, the Adesanya fight, he made a bunch. But since then, he's been he's really tightened that up, and he really is thoughtful about his approach, diligent in his workload, um, scientific in his training. So I expected to be a lot closer, a lot closer. I expected to go probably to the cards, and you know, wouldn't surprise me if it's a split. To be honest with you, um, in the sense that it will be very very competitive still. What I've not seen from Whitaker in the subsequent time since the Adesanya loss is any kind of new weapon that I think Adesanya doesn't have an answer for. But the same is true for Adesanya, which is he can't be making mistakes either against a guy like Whitaker, especially this version of Whitaker. So to me, it's like Adesanya should still be the favored one here, and I think I would lean towards his direction to win. You guys know I'm a big believer in Adesanya. You know what? Look, look at this. Hold on, I'll show, I'll show it to you. Hold on. Like, I'm not even bullshitting about what I'm doing here. Hold on. If this sorry-ass computer can work. Here we go. Uh, I have studied Adesanya's game like, you know, like it's going out of style. Jesus Christ, really? You're going to do this to me? Well, if it pops up here, but literally I'm editing it on my, on my screen here. I can't get in because it won't let me. But um, I was editing up my my. I know it's weeks past and it's taken me forever, but I'd rather just get it out than not. Um, I think it's working now. Yeah, here we go. Look, comes right up. That's what I'm editing. That's Adesanya and Vittori. In case you can't tell, I have put together a, a presentation on why he won. Some of you might already think you know, but there's some key details that I'm sure you missed because I missed it until um, I went through several times and I'm not seeing a whole lot of the folks talk about it, so I'm going to get that up. Like, I, I, you know, I've studied Adesanya's game as much as I can and I'm sure I miss things because I'm not of that level, but um, nevertheless, I still see him having the offensive edge, but to me, this is going to really come down to who has the... This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Efficient, smooth, professional application of their game. Really, the, the first one to make a mistake is going to be the one that to, to either lose or have a bad round or something. That's what it's really going to come down to. But I think Adesanya has got a few more ways to win. Can you share regarding the morning combat what the difference of opportunity, media, and overall content of your work is with CBS Sports and Showtime? 
So I have a really weird job. <laughs> um, CBS is my employer, but in my contract, I had it stipulated that uh, I didn't want to do any writing. So it's officially in there. So at CBS, I don't have any editorial boss. I have some bosses on the sort of television and then, uh, well, I guess more of the digital TVs, whatever you want to call that side. Um, I've got one there, but he's usually busy with a lot of other things. We only interact when we really, uh, you know, it's big moments or something like that. He's great. He's super awesome. Very, very supportive, you know, all in on what we're doing. But I do a lot of work for CBS Sports HQ, which is like their online 24-7 sports center. I do a ton for them. Um, the event we're going to for next week, 264. Now, I'm going with CBS Sports there. Um, there will be some Showtime assets going to just providing some support because we're going to be doing some some live shows on location, which we'll show those details coming up soon. I'm so fucking pumped about that. If you're going to be in Vegas, come hang out with us. It's going to be a really good time if you do. I promise. Um, so, you know, uh, that's all CBS Sports. But that's the first thing I've traveled with for CBS Sports. So the majority of what I do is CBS Sports HQ, uh, events like this, and then sundry other small things here or there. The majority of what I do is MK, and MK is at this stage, um, you know, fully a Showtime production. So when we went to Mayweather Paul, that was Showtime. When we went to, um, I forget what Bellator was, uh, were their Mohican Sun with the Fruit Flies, that was all... That was all Showtime. So like 90% of my work is Showtime, but my insurance card says CBS or Viacom CBS. That's the way it works. Look, you've mentioned a few weeks ago about your feelings on the bench press being overrated. Could you share what you think is a better option for chest in the weight room? I know you have a beef with decline bench because you're torn labrum. That's right. But it sounded like you thought all benching was overrated. No, 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 no. Benching is not bad or like stupid or you know the the I benched like a jackass because I didn't know what I was doing although when I tore my labrum I was under the tutelage of a trainer it turns out he didn't know what he was doing either guy had me maxing out near like my one rep max on decline and I didn't know to lock my lats when I did it I mean can you believe that like what are we doing here right so so it's not that but the problem with with the bench is a couple of things one People think that it's like the best demonstration of strength, and I don't really think that that's true. I think pull-ups are a better demonstration of strength. I think deadlifting is a better demonstration of strength. I think squatting, granted it's obviously lower body centric, but to me that has much more athletic carryover to a, a wide array of things. And I don't just mean like one rep max, but like your ability to, your capacity to do, do work. Honestly, I think a better demonstration of strength, because I think it involves much more of your core and everything else, uh, is overhead pressing like how much can you press directly over your head in a or not and not like you know jumping on your um, tippy toes like you know using your calves or bending your knees or anything strict overhead press um, you know and these just don't get any kind of deadlift gets a little bit of cachet oh it's super dangerous yeah if you do it like a fucking idiot if you have a headache and then you go and grab the Tylenol and you take 17 of those pills yeah you're gonna have a bad day same thing with deadlift you just go over there and round it back you're going to have a bad day. But if you're not a dumbass and you understand what you're trying to do and you properly load the weight and you have good programming and you really work on your technique and you start very modestly, it's the best exercise for you, man. It's a, it's an, it's a mass builder. It works so much of your posterior chain, which is the back is for go, the front is for show. Like it's, it's a much, much better exercise for you and it has much more athletic carryover. Like it's just got a lot. The problem is bench has kind of become like, oh, that's the sign of masculinity. Some people are never going to be great benchers. There's a lot of ways to cheat to cheat on the bench. You've seen it with these guys. They'll you know they'll get incredible thoracic bend, and so they, oh, they end up doing like a really short range of motion. 
Um, Johnny Candido has an interesting video on where the grip width should be to kind of, because the problem with like the deadlift too or any roll lift is that you can't um, you can't standardize range of motion. Everyone's body is going to have a different range, and so you see these guys who do sumo deadlift and their feet will be almost to the weights and they have a little tiny range of motion. And I know that there's argument to be made about like why that's okay, but I think most of us imagine that to really do an impressive lift, there should be a, a wide range of motion or at least some kind of um, recognizably intense range of motion. And you can cheat that on the bench. I think what I object to is it's like the, the number one question when people ask you if you work out is what do you bench? Which is fine because I don't think it's like an irrelevant question, but that the that it's the default question, that it's the that that's the defining feature of strength to me is just totally backward. The bench has its it's it's relevant, it's important, and it can be good, but it's not a great demonstration of strength in in general. There are much better ones. It's carryover to like athletic needs is fairly minimal. It's just a thing that people just decided was like, oh, that's what men do. They bench. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say in terms of like working your chest, dude, there's a million things you could do. You can do, <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to tell you? You can do cable uh, crossovers, cable flies. You can do, you can grab the plate and you can press it straight out. You can, um, any kind of dumbbell exercises. You can do incline pressing. You can do, you know, there's, I mean, the, 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 there's endless things you can do to target the chest and any kind of your pressing muscle. So like, is the bench press important? Totally. Is it valuable? 100%. Is it the best way to demonstrate someone's strength? No. Does it have a lot of athletic carryover? Sort of, not really. Uh, in that sense, it's overrated. People keep asking about the situation between Rose and Pat, and I think the issue is because one... A lot of us, and I've said this before, I've still not looked at it, is um, the evidence is a little bit, okay. My understanding of the evidence is that it is murky. I'm not suggesting to you that that is accurate. Uh, and that also, irrespective of this situation, I, I, I never understand this. People are like, oh, we want the MMA media to crack down on this situation or any other one. No, you don't. You absolutely do not. Some of you might watching at home be like, oh, yeah, I really care about this. Okay, fine. In good faith, I'll say that you might. Folks, let me explain to you some how it works. MMA and its institutions and its powerful individuals, from media to less so media, but even them a little bit, um, to the promoters, to the television networks, to the advertisers, here's a little secret for you. Ready? No one really wants MMA cleaned up. A little bit, enough to make it palatable, enough to have third-party validation one way or the other um, so that, you know, it doesn't look like an absolute fucking disaster, triller shit show. But every time someone in media tries to publish something about fighter wrongdoing or uh, institutional wrongdoing, unless it's a commission or unless it's like Joshua Fabia, there is unbelievable amounts of pushback and pushback from people I've got, you know, I normally find to be quite reasonable. This is the biggest lesson I've learned. If MMA were a forest filled with rocks, if you want, you can turn over enough rocks every time you're going to find worms. Every time. Without fail, you're going to find worms. 
what are you supposed to do now? Right? Like, I don't even know. I don't even know how I feel about this stuff anymore. I mean, I've, I, this situation, I, I, I've not. I, I've been meaning to look into it, and regrettably, I've not. And I'm guilty in that sense. Okay, fine, fine. But among all these other situations about anything, people think that like what they want MMA media to do is to shed light on these acts, so that that they are it results in some kind of change or punishment or you know people understanding the truth whatever that's supposed to mean and then every time MMA media does it they get absolutely whipped for it by all the powers that be there is the people who are in charge absolutely do not want MMA cleaned up not even a little bit not at all none zero they're happy with it exactly the way it is you know if people if people you know hit their wives or DUI or, you know, you name your level of malfeasance. They don't care. They can say that they care. They will act like they care. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. And honestly, even if you do care and you want to work in this business, you got to ask yourself, you know, do you want to work in a business where this kind of laissez-faire attitude about people's behavior is the norm. And I did, this was something I didn't even think about for the first 10 years. I don't know why I didn't. It didn't I was stupid. I didn't occur to me. I didn't. Un, it tells you how ignorant I was. And now I've been exposed to it. And, you know, if you wanted to have a beat where you went after all the things that went wrong, you know, you could do it because there's plenty of it. Um, the industry would find a way to get rid of you. It would find a way to be, you'd be ostracized. And I'm not talking about like, oh, UFC blackballing people. I'm not, that's the least of my concerns. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about all the other players, the ones you wouldn't expect. They, they want that silence too. They just want their fights, dude. They just want their fights. So like, yes, regrettably, I've not looked into this. And I do think that if you care about certain issues, going after them independent of what the result may be is the ethical and appropriate response. But also, if what you're trying to do is to change the situation by virtue of whatever you think you're reporting on or, or however you bring light to a certain situation, you should dial back your expectations to an extraordinary degree. <laughs> Who wins these dream fights of mine? Jones Silva, Jones, GSB Habib. That's a tougher one, maybe GSB, I'm not sure. Triple C versus DJ Trilogy. At this point, I'd go Triple C, but he's been off for a while. If you'd asked me, like, at the pandemic, I would have said Triple C, but. Who are the best examples of good defense in the pocket in MMA? And what makes their defense effective? That's a good question. Um, Jose Aldo's got good. He's got good pocket defense. Um, anybody who's good at slipping, that's sometimes not so much the pocket, but it can be in his case. Um, he's got really good slipping, um, good defense in the pocket. You know, a lot of guys have good offense in the pocket. A good clinch can be a good defense. Anderson Silva's clinch, because the way he's able to off balance, turn, move, it's offense while being defense, because you're off balancing your opponent. You're striking them to get them to react, which creates the next opening. So it's all offensively oriented in that sense but because you are keeping them off balance while landing strikes on them it ends up having a defensive result um 
by, by, by consequence. Like you don't have to worry about blocking punches necessarily um, from at least from one side or the other if you're really got an effective clinch. They're so preoccupied and frankly not even stabilized to do anything meaningful that it has that kind of carryover. So that's a good example of one. But anybody who's good at slipping punches, there's a lot of like in-the-pocket guys with, with bigger gloves. It's less, you know, you don't even see a lot of in-the-pocket kind of exchanges. I mean, the three ranges right on top of each other, right? Sort of mid-range and then long range. If you mean mid-range, there's a lot of guys who have good slipping, good counters. You know, uh, Adesanya's got incredible uh, slipping for an MMA fighter. Um, Robert Whitaker's got good slipping as well. Um, so you have to you have to define the range. But if you mean like right on like phone booth, it's pretty rare in MMA. It's it's a lot more common in boxing, and then they have the the gloves to assist him. But Jose Aldo was the first thing that came to mind. Someone's asking about Ariel. I have nothing else to say, but they did ask a slightly different question, which is, do you think there'll be a trend of MMA journalists working for multiple news outlets? I mean, that's already a trend. That's been a trend for a long time. So, like, I've done that, you know? I was working with SiriusXM at MMA Fighting. I was working with MMA Fighting and Spike TV. I was working with Bloody Elbow and this, that, and the other. Like, I, I've always had multiple irons and then my own, my own YouTube channel. Like, um, you know... That is not in any way uncommon. Uh, you know, why he's doing it, you'd have to ask him, and what benefit he'll get of it. Is, yeah, these are only questions he could answer. I would have no bearing, and certainly in that sense, none of my business. But, like, you're asking about multiple outlets. Dude, that's very common. That's very common. You might just not know about it because the the, the journalist in question may not have it. I mean, Arrow's got a huge name, obviously, but you might not know about it because... Um, they don't have a big name, and so you're just unaware of that. But, like, it's, you know, you routinely be like, oh, who are you here for? Oh, this time I'm here for, you know, the MMA Post or whatever. And next time I'm going to be there for the MMA Sentinel or whatever. You see that frequently. Uh... Their legal issues, I don't know. Did you see Edmund Shabazian train with Habib in Islam? Do you think he left his gym or he's just at AKA to train wrestling? That's a that's a factual question that I've not looked into, but I did see the pictures. And it's obvious. Dude, the kid's 23. He's 23. Like, slow down. Go train some wrestling. Dude, you, I mean, training with Habib and Islam. Plus, it's like, yes, any old moron can train with Habib and Islam and they're going to get better, but there's going to be a limit. But a guy like Shabazian who's a great athlete, who's a good, like a very good MMA fighter, who's a tremendous striker, but, you know, got some other issues to work on at age 23. This is perfect for him, exactly what he needs to do. Now, I don't know, you know, people want to bag on Edmund um, Tarverdian, but it's like, with good reason, with good reason. But also, like, Shabazian, while he had problems, if he really got that good under Edmund, dude, that's, that's a pretty good job. You know what I mean? Like... It's not that bad. Uh, I think that Edmund, Edmund just got way out in front of his skis. There was obviously the issue with his business and some of the things he had told um, the court under oath. And uh, Paul Gift had reported on that extensively. And then, you know, oh, Ronda's dropping, you know, boxing champions and practice and all this shit. He got, and then there are a lot of guys who went there and they kind of like faded a little bit like a, like Travis Brown, and I think um, uh, Ellenberger didn't have his best days there necessarily, although I have a lot of respect for Jake Ellenberger. But, you know, so there was a lot of reputation, like the whole thing was a house of cards. Okay, 
there was definitely way too much praise given to it, like extraordinarily way too much. And much of that, nearly all of that, needed to be dialed back. But, but, is there a little something to Edmund Tarverdian's ability to train? I, I think that there probably is. I think there probably is another correction that is due, which is he's got his limits, to be clear. I don't think he's the guy to make Edmund Shabazian, um, you know, if it was just up to Edmund uh, Tarverdian, a champion. But if you got that kid that far, you know, that's not that's not bad. I'm having a multicultured daughter. Um, what is your and your wife's approach on teaching her two languages? Well, we're still trying to figure out what the best approach is because I don't know that any of us have figured this out. Um, but my wife almost never talks to her in English. It's almost exclusively Spanish. Um, and obviously her grandmother is here a lot uh, exclusively in Spanish. Um, my family and I, mostly in English. Uh, my family only in English. Me, I can, you know, I could play around a little bit in Spanish if I need to, because sometimes she'll respond to things a little bit more directly, one language or the other. But I do all of her flashcards and all of her reading in English, and then my wife will read to her in um, at night in Spanish. She'll read her Spanish fairy tales, and I'll do, you know. But I buy her puzzles and games, and I teach her everything I can in English. I don't I don't teach any Spanish at all. I leave that up to my wife. Now, is that the best way to do it? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've asked my friends who grew up speaking two languages how they did it. And their answer was they just learned in the home. So, you know, my, my thought is that if around five or six we detect that it's not developing in the way that we would hope, I will just have formal lessons instituted. Like, it will not be a thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's heavy-handed. I don't know. But, you know, you've got a whole family in another country that you need to be able to talk to. I think it's important that you speak the language that they speak. Um, and, you know, she speaks a lot of Spanish, actually, my, my daughter. Um for you know a two-year-old anyway but so the best I, I you would be wise to ask somebody who understands this process much more fully developed and played out but as it stands two years and hell is my daughter now so she turned in uh my, my daughter's about two years and three months old not quite and um that's how we're handling it at the moment so we have we 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 read to her in multiple languages we speak to her in multiple languages she watches programming in multiple languages i think majority english um and then she has family members speak to her in both. And so far, it has not resulted in any kind of issue that I can declare. Uh, like she's not behind in language development at all. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how this is supposed to go. Like much of parenting I've I've seen is that you're just doing your best. <laughs> just doing your best. We're just doing our best. How frustrated were you with BC when discussing the issue of fighter pay and non-recorded bonuses? Frustrated, but like, not as frustrated as I, as I, I was frustrated. But like, here's the thing you gotta understand about BC. BC has a worldview that I cannot, in terms of the specifics, fully endorse. But there actually is an overlap between my worldview and his, which is that we both, believe it or not, when it comes down to it, we both share a pretty deep skepticism of power. We share a deep skepticism of sometimes the reliability of institutions. We share a deep skepticism of, you know, um, those who hold wealth. And 
my only issue is that I have been trained to think this way, and I think it's, I'm sorry, I believe that it would be the correct way to think. I could be wrong, obviously, but you need to have, it's just a really simple rule. If you're going to make claims about the world, it's okay to say it's my opinion. It's okay to say it's what I believe. Um, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but like, just as a general rule, folks, if you're going to make a claim about something, and it's a big claim, you need to have big evidence for it. You know, we can move sort of religious considerations aside, but just you're going to make claims about the way the world works, right? That, that needs to be backed in something. It needs to be backed in something. And, it's, and there will be scenarios where like information can be hard to come by and hard to parse. And um, even the information you have is, you know, it, it's a question about how reliable it could be. You know, this is not the easiest situation to always or easiest condition to always fulfill. I understand that. But as a, as a rule, man, you need to have evidence for the things you believe. Direct evidence. You need to understand what evidence looks like. Um, evidence does not look like, oh, I have a feeling. That's not evidence. Um, well, so-and-so said something. That can be evidence, but under usually very limited circumstances. Um I think a lot of people don't really know what evidence looks like, uh, what it means, what kinds of evidence correspond to what kinds of situations. They don't have an appreciation or an understanding of the evidentiary needs you need to have to make claims about the world. Um, and I think that's one issue or one area where BC and I really disagree. He's got suspicions, not entirely unfounded, but then he uses them to make, it's almost almost like inductive reasoning, to make these broader um, presuppositions about the world that don't hold under greater scrutiny. And I think when that greater scrutiny results in evidence that challenges your worldview, you need to change your worldview. You know, that's, it's okay to be wrong. I, 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 people are going to be wrong time to time or a lot or about big issues. Like, that's life, man. That's the way that it goes. But, um, you know, to say that like, oh, there's got to be other money that is unaccounted for. Can I fully say that that's not the case? No, I certainly cannot. But, um, you know, A, you need to have evidence for those claims. And you're like, oh, well, I can't because it's unaccounted for. Okay, well, let's think about the consequences of this. So there's no evidence that it exists. And the consequences of it, I had somebody write me who was from like uh, the people who investigate this stuff. And he was like, dude, if, if it was found that you were in any way not complying with that court order, what it would do is it would open up much wider uh, look into the personal finances of all these people individually. Um, you, there might be, you know, obviously legal consequences, much, all everything you do from on a personal level, all of your personal financial records would all be scrutinized. And remember, you know, UFC, UFC, like I was having a debate with him. He's like, dude, this is already a company that, you know, only tells a portion of what they pay the athletes, why would it be any different extrapolated out to the nth degree? And the answer is like, dude, if it was up to them, we wouldn't know anything. Like they told Florida that it was a trade secret and Florida's like, man, eh, whatever. Like if they had their way, uh, we would never know. We would have almost no clue. The commission is the one that has usually been the force to make them declare this. And in this particular court order case, um, it was all sealed, like the people involved in the trial had access to it, but it was all sealed. And then there was an attempt to make it public, which then UFC fought that. You know, it wasn't like they just offered it up, like and uploaded it to, you know, an FTP server, which anyone could just go download. It, it doesn't work that way. 
And so my point being is I think that they did like one thing UFC has been pretty good about is like they realize that, you know, to do the kind of thing that they're doing, to be in the business that they're in, leaning into safety and regulation, leaning into doing things above board is long term the kind of thing that creates stability and trust in the operations that they have. And, and again, even that's no guarantee because I thought that, that, you know, in the very early, 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 early stages of the pandemic, they were acting irresponsibly. But since then, it's been no problem. Um, but, you know, for them to not comply with that, the order to turn in all the information, A, they would have no incentive to not do it. And if they did it, the consequences would be cataclysmic. And there's no evidence. Like anybody can just say, oh, I think that there's more that they're hiding. Like I can literally just say those words. So what value is there in that? You know, you're feeding into this institutional distrust, which is not entirely misplaced. But like, if you want to make a claim about the world and the way the world works, there should be some evidence for it. Um, for example, here's what some evidence might look like. There's been previous cases where the UFC was found um, under penalty withholding information. Now, not legally uh, well within their rights withholding information. I mean, under penalty of law withholding information, doing things that they were not allowed to do. Where is the evidence? They've never done. There's I'm not aware of any situation where they've ever done that, you know. So, so you know, I don't necessarily have the fondest view of all the rich in this world and the kinds of things that they do and have access to in this world. And I'm sure the more I learn, the more I'd be horrified. It's not that it's not that what he is suggesting is I don't know. Well, I find it implausible, frankly. But there can be other scenarios unrelated to this one, other actors involved, you know where you can imagine that they are doing all kinds of things that they uh, don't want the public to know about. But like, you you need, to, like, if if those people are ever to brought to the heel of law enforcement, it's by virtue of the evidence that's presented, right? Oh, we want to take down um, this corrupt tax shelter situation. Well, you, you need access to the documents. You need to know what's in there. Um, you, you have to have evidence. And so, you know, is it possible that what he's suggesting is true? Yes, of course. It is very possible that what he's suggesting is true. To me, it is deeply improbable um, and, and functionally implausible, basically. And you, just, you don't get to just be cynical about the world and say, well, this is now the way that it works. You have a right to be cynical, but that cynicism should be derived from the evidence that you have looked at it about the way the world works and then that has told you something that you didn't like not that you get to just say well i i get to be cynical and then therefore that must mean that all of these actors are doing things not above board and that's that's not evidence that's not how you build an argument and that's not persuasive to anybody paying attention at all all right that's it for today let me put this back on show tomorrow reminder on the show tomorrow we are going to discuss the night comes for us. Do not miss it. This will be important. And um, it's a hell of a movie. You haven't seen it. Get ready. Buckle up. It's a hell of a ride. Thumbs up on this. Hit subscribe. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Show tomorrow at 11. And until next time, bitches, may all of your gains be loyal.